Yes, sir. Welcome back to the Rest of Us Tennis Podcast. We are close to the midway point of a season. Or definitely, let me rephrase that, definitely at the midway point for most mid-major programs, as a majority of mid-majors will not advance past April into May. I refer to this stage of the season as being stuck in the belly of the beast of a mid-major grind. I mean, things are piling up, um, got to pay officials, still got a few rental cars and hotels you got to organize. Um, yeah, I know, you mid-major coaches, you guys know what I'm talking about. Stuck in that belly of the beast. I'll be honest, I'm going to be 100% honest. This past weekend, my wife was talking to me, but I did not hear a goddamn word she was saying. All I could see was her lips moving. Because, <laughs> because in my mind, all I was thinking of is, how in the hell do I get my team to make more returns, hold the rally a little bit longer, stay with their game plans, trust their practices or insert their, their practices into matches. Um, I mean, no kidding, man. All I, all I could see is her lips moving. Um, I've got no clue what she was talking to me about this weekend. Um, but you know what? At least that means I still care about this. I still care about winning. Some coaches say they do this job to be part of a family and to teach and have fun, etc., etc. Yeah, that's great. You know, I mean, I like it as well. But all I know is, you know, to break it down in simple terms, is my food and my beer tastes a lot better when we win some matches. Um, we got a couple of quirky results this weekend, don't we? Uh, some indoor teams got their first taste of outdoor tennis. Um, eventually all of this will all even out as the cream rises to the top, like it always does, and the uh, Pretenders will be exposed and legitimate teams will come um, come full circle. A um, <clears throat> couple of you know interesting things out there. Baylor and and may I say a collection of former mid-major coaches over there. They of course had to go ahead and put an end to the mid-major party by rubbing out Denver and Grand Canyon. On the same weekend, I mean, god damn, how selfish. Um, man, that's, that's some good luck or some lucky scheduling involved over there to pick up some good ranking points as they try and move up the rankings. Interesting though, I mean, in my mind, it's interesting though the psychology of it all, eh? with Denver and Grand Canyon not being the hunters anymore after those first computer rankings got released but rather now they were the hunted this past weekend and that's that's not always an easy task to absorb and it's not like they did bad this weekend um denver lost a tight doubles point there against baylor but then put up a good fight in singles man and in, in, in that grand canyon match baylor was in all kinds of trouble um after losing a doubles point and squeezed it out there 6-2 or 6-3 in a third in the deciding match. Um, but those were big wins for Baylor. Looks like they paid the price a little bit there and had nothing left in the tank for Texas A&M. But I guess they'll take those two wins. On a personal note, I'm looking for matches, guys. I've, it, strange year. Uh, I thought I had too many matches scheduled. Um, and I've had three or four rain out, so i still got two or three dates available. If you're out there and you want to play a match, let me know. Hit me up. Um, I'll spend some of this measly mid-major budget and I'll drive over to you. I won't be able to fly. But if you're within driving distance, let me know if you want to play some matches this weekend. Or even next week. I've got spring break and I've got some time to fill. So yeah, man, come on. Let's play. But what's on tap tonight? I think this is a good episode. Uh, we got some news, and then my weekly bitch session. I'm going to try not to make it a bitch session. I'm going to try and um, you know be real productive in this news um, section. Secondly, I've got Alabama coach, first-year coach Jonathan Barane, joining us 
today or tonight or earlier today. Blue grade champs, 9-1 record. Man, he couldn't have scripted any better, right? Huh? They're off to a good start here. And then it'll be nice to hear, speak to him. On top of that start, probably one of the nicest guys out there, to be honest. And then third, but um, not least, the results section. And like I said, we had some quirky results and some great results. Um, I want to go over a whole bunch of that. But let's go ahead, man. Let's get it started tonight. Section one, news or newsworthy um, things happening out there. The first one, I don't know if you guys caught this, but I kind of saw this by accident. An article with the headline, Federal Judge Grants Injunction Suspending NCAA's NIL Rules. I mean, the, the poor NCAA. I feel like on a weekly basis, someone is pulling down their pants in public. Um, this latest one is the states of Tennessee and Virginia. You know, they filed an antitrust lawsuit in January that argued that the NCAA is violating the Sherman Act. There you go, back to the Sherman Act. By unfairly restricting how athletes commercially use NIL. And this kind of goes back to NCAA putting restrictions on how you can discuss NIL with high school students or people in a transfer portal. I mean, just to refresh your memory, um, 2001, um, because of a Supreme Court ruling, the NCAA changed its policies to allow college athletes and recruits to earn money through extracurricular means such as endorsement deals and personal appearances as long as they remain consistent with state laws. However, however, under the NCAA's policies, universities still cannot recruit either high school athletes or, transport, or transfer portal entrants using NIL opportunities. So they tied schools' hands with regards to that. Um, I mean, this lawsuit here by Tennessee and Virginia argued that the organization's ban on prospective athletes discussing NIL limits, competition, and decreases compensation levels versus a true free market. This is a scary part of the year. The states are seeking a permanent injunction barring the NCAA from enforcing its NIL recruiting ban or taking any other action to prevent prospective college athletes and transfer candidates from engaging in meaningful NIL discussions prior to enrollment, with a keyword being prior. The preliminary injunction issued Friday restrains the NCAA from enforcing any NIL compensation restrictions until a final until a full and final decision is reached. So basically, in, to summarize this, play for pay might be a reality. I mean, it kind of is a reality, but it might just be all bets off and you can aggressively recruit high school students and transfer students, waving that carrot of money in front of them. What does this all mean in layman's terms? The NCAA is somewhat screwed. That's why they keep on reaching out to Congress. Co Congress, And they want Congress to jump in and provide stability for the future of all college athletes. How does it affect us mid-majors? Well, we're really screwed, you know, because um, people are just, the recruits are going to go to the highest bidders most likely. And some Power 5 teams are screwed um, because they can't outbid some of their peers. So they're going to lose these recruiting battles consistently. I love to see that. I love to see them complaining and talking about that. And I'm like, hey, man, those are your buddies. Those are your friends. Tell them to stop it. Tell them to rein it in. But they won't. I love how the NCAA... Um, you know, in their in their release, you know, they talk about the exploitation of the student athletes. If this becomes um, the norm, I mean, this is not exploitation of a student athlete. Yeah, there are probably outlier incidents, 
This is this is just a classic unfair unfair playing field. I mean, there's going to be a select few who's going to outbid the rest of them, and the whole thing just becomes a joke. I love to hear Nick Saban kind of talking about it, you know. Um, I mean, if no one's going to listen to him, I mean, then then I guess we really screwed over here. But stay tuned, man. This thing is getting really interesting over here, as it seems like no one has a fear of the NCAA, and they just keep on going after them, and the NCAA just keeps on taking body blows. But that's big picture, and I think we all should stay tuned to the big picture because it does affect our sport you know no no doubt about it um you know some some other news out there some interesting news that i saw the ita did a rankings correction they send out a very wordy <laughs> email you know to to try and shift the blame a little bit on this new platform or new system Ah, come on, ITA, just simplify it. Just say we screwed up and we're going to correct it, you know. But um, it was funny. I, I, I don't know exactly how many universities it affected, but it makes me chuckle if some of those universities did jump on it via social media and milk the living shit out of it, and then they had to retract it after the fact. But, yeah, I know it's the ITA. It seems like a lot going wrong with this new platform they have but hopefully they smooth it out um other other interesting things indiana finally got a win they got a 4-3 win um against the three and six cornell team seven five in the third at number six with a decider you know um so they're picking there on the bottom of the ivy league but good for them um mtsu the coach over there is taking some maternity leave. Um, the interesting thing over here, and, 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 and I'm just speculating, I thought I thought it was real interesting. The interim coach or whoever's going to be in charge of a women's team is a guy named John Kreese. I think he's a volunteer on the men's side. So he's going to take care of the MTC, MTSU women's team. I wonder if this is the beginning of um, Jimmy Coach Jimmy B, Jimmy Borondine, taking over as director of tennis or them restructuring things a little bit where he's a director of tennis and, you know, it might be a soft exit there for the MTSU coach. Or maybe she's coming back, I don't know. But you just got to feel that they kind of restructuring over there a little bit um, to try and get that women's team on par with the men's team. But it's going to be interesting to see how things play out over there during the summer and beyond. UNLV coach Kevin Corey, he's retiring after this season. Man, long-time coach. He's been rock solid there at UNLV. I actually think he was, wasn't he the assistant coach at Ole Miss during their glory days? Um, for a guy named Jerry Montgomery, I got to go ahead and double check that. But but Kevin Corey, man, he's done a great job there. But that's a massive opportunity there for someone, and they their assistant coach have has been there for a while, and maybe they just give a job to her since things have been pretty smooth over there. But but if they don't and they open up, man, if someone can get that job, man, um. Yeah, and they're real aggressive with their recruiting. Who knows what the upside is over there? Yeah, but it's sad to see Kevin Corey leave. I used to love playing that tournament. I played a, a fall tournament there in September up until when COVID hit for like five, ten years in a row. Go out to Vegas. I took my team there. They loved it, you know. A bunch of foreigners, myself included, you know, seeing Vegas and, um, you know, Used to drop him off at the hotel and then you know, go play a little bit of cards over there at the Bellagio. Good times. But yeah, so Kevin will be um, retiring. A couple of other things over here that caught my attention. Or one last thing is um, Missouri. They they starting up conference play. Man, it's a tough start. They're playing Georgia on March 1st. And then they play Tennessee on March 3rd. Um, 
I see they got a double header after they play Georgia. They play against Lindenwood. Uh, I, I don't I don't know why Lindenwood is bailing them out, but then after they play against Tennessee, they play Lindenwood again. So they're playing Lindenwood on Friday and on Sunday. I mean, I I I, I, t- I want to throw my phone against a wall when I see that. You know, I what's the use in this? You know, why would Lindenwood put themselves in that position and, and, and do that? And, and why is Missouri even doing it? It's not like they're going to make the NCAA and the 500 rule is in play. You know, put that stress on your players to play four matches in three days. It's it's just, I don't know, man. It defies logic. But um, this is about the time. Last thing I'll say over here before I move it on. This is about the time when a lot of these mid-tier Power 5 teams take stock, depending on how the season started. And they're like, okay, I'm entering conference play. I might get these. I might get that. I might be close to the 500 rule. Let me go see if I can get a sucker and entice him to come and play us on the back end of a double header to get a quick win, to get that win, to get myself to the 500 rule. If they say no, I'm going to tell him I'm going to throw 500 bucks their way. If they say no, I'm going to give him a case of balls. If they say no, I'm going to put in a clincher of a Jimmy John sandwich for everyone on the team. Don't do it. If you didn't schedule him before the season started... Don't do it now. I can understand beginning of a season, you know, trying to get in matches, see where your team is. But why in the hell would you want to play a power five late in the season on the back end of a double ender? It's stupidity. And I, I'm putting a ban on all mid-major coaches to bail out mid-tier power five teams to get them to the 500 rule. I forbid you. And that's the last time I'm going to mention that because I'm just going to get worked up talking about it. Last but not least, it looks like Auburn. I mean, Auburn is losing some of their players they signed. Um, I see one of them went to Texas and one of them went to North Carolina. I told you guys that's going to be one hell of a rebuild over there at um, Auburn. And I won't be surprised if the current players on the team, if after this semester they lose, uh, what they leave. Coach Mid-Major was right, man. I get it right most of the times. But enough of that. Let's shift gears over here. Caught up earlier today with Jonathan Barame, the Blue Great Champs. Um, you know, you know, I love this template. Jonathan, he was a coach at Western Kentucky. Did a great job over there when he took over. That program was in shambles, you know. Um, he didn't even have eight scholarships, but he made them competitive, showed how good he is at recruiting. Um, then put his put in his time as an assistant coach here for Jenny Maines, and he was ready to take this job off to a great start. So with any further ado, you know, let's speak to Jonathan. We've got the blue great champs in the house, Coach Jonathan Barame. Um, head coach at Alabama, Jonathan. Congrats, man! That was a big weekend. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. Yeah, I agree with you. It was a it was a big weekend for us, and we're extremely excited. And I mean, it was the first time that we won it since 2015 uh, when Jenny Mines won it. Uh, and I think they were um, maybe they were in the top similar top 15, top 20 range, um, which I'm hoping that we are going to land somewhere there for this next ranking so no it's um it's exciting i'm happy for the girls um you know we've worked we worked tirelessly like we've put in so much work this semester so um no i'm very excited for the girls yeah let's not kid around man that was a that was a huge weekend you got those wins over arizona illinois texas tech and those wins i mean they got legs i mean those are good teams and they you know, what they're going to get their wins. And from a ranking standpoint, like you said, they're going to carry you. Let me ask you this. Did did you see these wins coming this week in practice? I'm always curious about that. You know, um, did you feel good going into the tournament? Did you see some signs in practice? Or was just there's just accumulation of, um, 
the last six months or so? Um, that's, that's a good question. I I do feel like um, the, the, uh, that week uh, before Blue Gray, I, I did feel like the girls had, you know, they were in the right mind frame. They were very positive. Um, they had a lot of confidence and we just things were kind of falling along with drills and how, I mean, just seeing them locked in. So I did see that we had the, we had the opportunity. I, I spoke to a couple of my assistant coaches as well. And I told them that, Hey, we, we might win this one. You know, we, I'm, I'm seeing, I'm seeing things here at practice. It, it's just, I guess a couple of questions that I had is our number three player, um, Margot Maquette, she's out. So knowing, knowing that she was out, obviously, I mean, she's a, She's a, a big time player in our lineup. So I did feel, you know, I had my concerns maybe, but overall, collectively, we, it, it looked very promising. And it looks like, I mean, you talk, but you're speaking there about Margaret being out. Um, from a roster standpoint, it looked like everyone chipped in in the semifinals. You had the top of the lineup step up in the finals there, the bottom of the lineup. You know, I mean, like you said, you guys are eight deep with Nelson and, the Charlotte transfer, Margaret floating around. I mean, me and you, we know the value of bench depth, but how do you handle some of the girls not playing each weekend? It, what is that a constant conversation or are they just so bored into the team aspect where it really doesn't bother them? Uh, I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, and the reason, I mean, it's a great question because, you know, for Priya Nelson, our freshman, she hasn't really seen too much playing time uh, this spring, and it's been very difficult for her. But, you know, she's also seeing, like, how much these girls are investing every single day, the same as she is. And so she so she's, she's also very intelligent, and she has an understanding that, you know, it's a good team and she's a freshman and it's going to take, it's going to take time. I think the biggest key that I've asked her is that she has to stay ready mentally, physically and tennis wise. I feel like as a coaching staff, they're always going to be prepared. We, we train extremely, we train extremely hard and I'm very demanding. So I know that they're going to be prepared to play a match. Now, it's just more about that mental factor that for, for for Priya, just continue to have, you know, confidence, even though she's not playing. And then that she still has that fire and desire to play, even though that she's not playing. And in the finals against Texas Tech, that showed you, you know, Anna, one of our seniors, didn't feel well. So she came up to me and said, Jonathan, I feel a bit sick, so I, I'm not sure if I can play. And I went up to Priya and asked her, are you ready to play? She said she shook her head and said, "Yes, I'm. I'm ready, coach." And we had it was our first first spring match at number six against Texas Tech in the finals of Blue Gray, and she ended up clinching the match. Man, and and I mean that had roster just looks solid. You know, it's it's you've got the depth. It seems like you guys contest every single point. I mean, you guys had a solid base coming back, but but obviously Nelson and um, Margaret were great additions. But from the outside, it looks like Pitak coming back in January, that was a key ingredient, wasn't it? Was she always going to come back in January? Or was that a little bit nerve-wracking? Was that touch and go? Did you have to pull out all the tricks there to get it? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I. So she always wanted to come back. But then it, the question was more about she was, well, you know, she wanted to play pros, which I understood, and she wanted to try and see, you know, playing some 15 and 25 case. Um, and then she got hurt while she was home with her foot. And she just needed to take a little bit of time off. And I communicated with my compliance. And, you know, there was a year year left of eligibility. I just wanted to make sure that she still had that left. And if it was possible for her to come in the spring. And I reached out to her and asked her, hey, would you would you be willing to come back? And she said, absolutely. And, and uh, um she felt like she didn't leave uh, Alabama where she felt like we could be as a team uh, because the year before we finished, I think we finished in the 60s. And uh, no, so, you know, that kind of happened more towards the end in November. So at that point, I was still looking. I mean, you, I mean, you know it the same as I do. You know, we're always looking. So, you know, I'm chatting up with every single recruit possible, trying to find that last puzzle, you know, piece of the puzzle. And, you know, it ended up being Ola. So it's, it's, um, which I kind of, uh, which I, I felt was perfect just because she has experience. 
so she will get acclimated very very quickly instead of having a freshman because you know how difficult it is to have a freshman coming in the spring so no uh it was uh, no i mean it was it, it wasn't it wasn't planned just to kind of answer the short short answer is it wasn't planned yeah no i mean that was a huge weekend you know because like you mentioned there i mean that 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 but just from a ranking standpoint, and I'm sure from a self-belief standpoint and validation of what you guys are doing, that was a huge weekend. I'm sure you guys aren't going to, you know, relax right now, but it must be a good feeling knowing that you are probably in the NCAA tournament, you know, um, unless things just completely fall apart in the SEC schedule. I mean, that. I mean, is that... You know, a, what kind of a relief where you're like, all right, man, yeah, at least we're going to be in a NCAA tournament and now we can actually see if we can get a good seeding, get in that top 15 or, or, or what's the thought process there, Jonathan? I, I think the top, um, it hasn't changed. And and I had a message with them the first day um, when the season started in the fall. And I told them my job as a coach is to prepare them uh, the best possible way. So when they're in a match that they're ready to compete at their highest level each individual so because i think if i can uh, improve every single player and make sure they're prepared for their matches you know they're gonna uh, contribute um for the for the team so I, i'm not gonna you know i i know uh, the ranking is coming out today and i'm sure the girls are going to be very excited but i want to make sure that's not the main focus um i haven't even really talked about making it to the ncaa my main focus have just been about making sure that we're getting better every single day as a tennis player and i think if we do that i could see this team if if we do talk about rankings you know making top 20 or even top 15 absolutely i we we definitely have the talent no you guys do you know and i mean i'm i'm not just saying it i've always been a buyer of alabama stock you know sometimes last year I used to kind of be like, man, I can't understand why that girl isn't winning, you know? But, I mean, I always think you guys are good. So, I mean, congratulations on the great start. Out of curiosity, Jonathan, let me shift gears a little bit over here. When Jenny retired about a year ago, you know, was a plan was a plan always for you to take over? Or did you have to go in there and fight for this job? Um. Okay, I'll share. Well, I guess I can share this story with you. So, um, so Jenny, I, I can't remember exactly when she kind of announced her retirement, but I think it was early in the spring. So it, it might have been in, I can't remember, the first month of the spring, probably when we came back and we announced it to the team. And then our AD came up to me and he said, Jonathan, uh, I need, I would like for you to come into my office and we'll talk. And I said, okay, <laughs> you know, wasn't sure exactly what that meant, but um, so it, it took a little bit of time because it was a busy time. There was a lot of things happening within the department that he had to deal with. So we had, we kind of kept extending the conversation, which I'm like, oof, I'm not sure if this is a good sign or a bad sign. <laughs> and uh, I, um, I think it was in, in, March, I went in to Greg and I went into his office and I had a 12 page uh, plan on, you know, how I'm going to take Alabama from where we are to, you know, hopefully make them a powerhouse in the SEC. And I had that, brought it in. And, you know, um, another funny story was, um, you know, I, I never, like, I had an issue with making a tie. And, you know, right before, a minute before I'm going to see Greg, I don't have my tie situation figured out. So I'm running around all over campus, stressing out. And I'm like, what am I doing? This is my big moment, right? And I see um, the baseball coach. I'm like, do you know how to tie a tie? He's like, no, I have no idea. So he's having to look it up on YouTube and helping me out. And, you know, and that's how I walked into Greg. I shared, I shared that story with him and he was cracking up and laughing about it. And he said, well, the tie looks good, you know, and I had communicated with um, Clancy uh, prior, Clancy Shields in Arizona, because he was hired by Greg Byrne. And he told me, just make sure you have that right tie because, I guess Clancy walked into the interview with the wrong tie. And that was the first thing he told Clancy is like, what are you doing? That's not the right tie. So yeah, I, I feel like the the conversation with Greg was went like the start of the conversation went very well. But there was a key things that he said throughout the interview 
that made me feel very confident. It was, he would look, well, the first thing was he kind of gave me a hug. And obviously I've known Greg for a long time and we have a good relationship, but he kind of looked at me and said, uh, don't stress out. Just, just be relaxed. We're going to do kind of what we have to do. And, you know, they, they're going to have to make a search. But he said, you are an extremely strong candidate. And that was the first time, which kind of made me, you know, a little bit more relaxed. And I kept talking about my, I kept talking about my uh, vision and plan for Alabama. And then throughout that kind of, throughout that whole process, he kept saying, you're a very strong candidate. And when he, after he mentioned it three or four times, I'm like, <laughs> I'm walking, you know, I think I have this job. Then <laughs> I felt pretty confident. And, and, and it just, you know, the constant communication with him, um, I felt like, you know, it, it seems like, you know, I, I might get this opportunity. So we're heading over to uh, our conference tournament, the SEC tournament, and he flies with us. Uh, he takes the private jet and he's there watching us. After the match, we lose to Vanderbilt in a tough match, 4-3. He comes down and he gives me a, gives me a, a hug and says, hey, you know, it's, it's okay. You know, the girls fought hard. And he said, well, I'll call you in the next couple of days. While we're traveling back now, the, after the match, we're traveling back to um, Alabama. Uh, Greg calls me and he said, I would like for you to be the next uh, head coach at University of Alabama. And I said, what? He said yes, and then he kind of, you know, we we went into the details while I'm while I'm traveling, and he said, "Don't tell the girls, like, don't tell anybody." He said, "Do you accept the position?" I said, "Yeah, heck yeah, absolutely, I'm I'm accepting the position." And uh, uh, he said, "Well, I'll meet you guys as soon as you arrive in Tuscaloosa." So he's 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 there at the tennis courts. He announces it to the girls and. I mean, it was just, I don't know what to tell you. I was, I was over the moon, you know, I was just uh, so happy and, and very, I mean, it's, it was an exciting, exciting thing for me, you know. Man, that's awesome stuff, you know, and I mean, very well deserved. And obviously the, um, obviously the girls loved it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you had to recruit your own players, but no one transferred, you know, so I think that says a lot over there. To get to that, you know, I mean, you guys had a solid base. Um, to my amateur eye, you know, and and I'm and, and I'll try and tease this out. To my amateur eye, it always looked to me in the last couple of years that that the Bama girls were very aggressive. You know, I mean, I mean, they really went after the ball. When I saw you guys in the fall, my amateur eye, you know, like I say. It looked like they were a lot more patient, a lot more disciplined in playing patterns. Um, you know, has that been a little bit of a coach, a changing coaching philosophy? You know, I feel like Jenny really had those girls pressing forward. It seems like right now they're a little bit more patient in building the point. Don't get me wrong, they can still attack the ball. I mean, you got some yeah. big hitters on that team. But is that something that you kind of sprinkled in there, or 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 is it just you know, am I missing something over here? Am, am uh, I overthinking it? Uh, no, I mean, I think the uh, you know we work so much with individually with the girls and and trying to get them to understand you know maybe how their game needs to be played. So um, there's gonna be players in the lineup uh, which I would agree with you where we've worked on building the point a lot more, understanding. You know, I kind of break down the court in, in, in a way for them to understand what they need to do when they're at a certain zone of the court. And then if they're somewhere else, this is the ball they can attack. This is a point where you kind of have to construct a point and build a point. And so, so yes, for certain players, absolutely. But then there's, then you have our number one player, Ludmilla, the French girl, as you know, where we worked the, just being a more aggressive, having a lot more intensity and, you know, just... So I guess, you know, yes or no to your question, it just depends on the player. But I think the biggest thing is for, you know, just the practice, the intensity and the focus and being able to sustain it for a long period of time has been the biggest thing um, to the change for them. And and we've broken down. We're, we're basically just doing individuals. I mean, that's I mean, that's what we're doing. We're spending so much, uh, so much more time on the court so we can actually 
you know, break it down, do a lot of video analysis. So they're understanding what they do well and things that they need to improve on. So I'm not sure if that is answering your question, but. Uh, no, yeah. no, it does a hundred percent, you know, um, you know, however, whatever you guys are doing, I mean, from the outside in, it just looks like those girls have find, found that happy zone, you know, that, that, that nice space where the tennis is flowing good, you know, it's, it's yeah. kudos to you guys. Some of that, you know, I like to tie that into the coaching experience. Someone who's put in his time and, you know, who's learned how to coach and can, you know, look at his personnel and, and put them in good positions. I mean, geez, Jonathan, four years at Alabama, assistant coach, four years head coach at Western Kentucky. I didn't even know this. You were one year at Youngstown State, you know, men's and women's assistant we, coach. Jaco, uh, sorry, friend. We won the conference for the first time ever at Youngstown I, State. I know. I, I saw that. I saw that. And then, and then I even didn't know you were – two years graduate assistant at ETSU. It seems like everyone comes from ETSU. you got my favorite, Ricky Rojas, and then you got Travis. We played Stetson not too long ago. Um, Western Kentucky, you know, I want to circle to that. Um, that was one hell of a turnaround over there when you got there because Western Kentucky used to be in our conference and they were awful. You know, I'm not sugarcoating it. They were awful. You got there. What was the situation when you got there? You know, give us a little bit of a look behind. Um, no indoor facility, uh, no real trainer. So, you know, you kind of have to step in and tape the girls and, uh, you know, and then you have no idea how to tape them, but you're trying to do something, you know, at some point, you know, I'm like, hopefully I'm not hurting them. So, 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 you know, it's, it's, you know, we had an outdoor, we had outdoor courts, but it was, it was not on campus, so I always had to borrow a van and take the girls to practice. For indoors, you know, we drove about 20, 25 minutes to play indoors, to practice indoors. And, you know, it does get cold. It does get cold over there. So, and we used to practice indoors from 8.30 p.m. to 10.30 p.m. at night. And then I would have to drive back for 20 to 25 minutes uh, to drop them off uh, at their dorm. So, uh no stringer so you have to string the rack string your rackets yourself at home um i just you just had to do it really everything on your own i mean that's just i mean you're living it too and i mean in, in a lot of ways so you so you know exactly what it is were, were you guys fully funded over there how many scholarships did you have to work with uh we had we started like with six and a half scholarships and then my last year we went down to like five five and a half or something um so, which was also uh, a challenge, and the budget was pretty low. <laughs> you know, we we couldn't really host any home matches. The only home match was senior day, and I tried to get like Lindsay Wilson, and was begging the coach to come and play us because we had no restrooms at our uh, outdoor facility. So you would have to take like a jog to go to the restroom, which was about you know a two minute jog. So uh, we had to do that for every practice. Uh, no water, so. You know, I went to the training room, which was about 10 minutes and fill up the cooler, put it in my car and bring it out to practice every day. So, uh, you know, just having to pick up the girls every day at practice and drop them off. So, you know, in some way, you know, when it came to the relationship aspect of it, like we were we were one together because we did everything together. I mean, even taking them to practice, I mean, it could be, you know, so that was the nice part. But it's extremely exhausting to to do to do that and come home every night at 11 p.m and then you have a wife and a kid waiting for you i mean it's and then you know the next day you know we we have 6 a.m practices no i tip my cap man because like i say i i i know that situation and and western kentucky was in our conference for a long time and i mean they were just absolutely awful until you got there um i mean obviously there you you I mean, your what your recruiting was off the charts. Some of the girls you brought into Western Kentucky. Um, you know, speaking about that recruiting, you know, I know it's tough at Power Five. I know sometimes we joke around and we like, you know, as mid-major coaches, we're like, oh, these damn Power Five coaches. You know, I mean, I I know it's hard recruiting at Power Five level. What's the biggest challenge over there? You know, educate as mid-major coaches. You know, what is the biggest obstacle you run into 
um, with regards to recruiting at the Power Five level? Um, I guess, you know, with, you know, when I was at Western Kentucky or ETSU, I guess what we could do is if you were a kind of a workaholic and you had an obsession about recruiting, you were always, you were always able to kind of steal transfers because you knew somebody or, you know, you had a connection or you just put in the work. Now with the transfer portal, it's making it a lot more challenging because you don't have to put in that time anymore. It's just about going into a portal and now, if you're in a good location, you might be able to steal those players that you would not have known. So I guess, you know, I think Alabama is great and it's unbelievable place to be in as a student athlete. But it might not be, if I can use the word, sexiest uh, place in, in, in the U.S. So it's kind of our most desirable place, which I think it is because of everything that we can offer. But if you're an international or you're a top American recruit, you might want to go to a different kind of location. Um, but recruiting wise, the toughest thing is just, it's more competitive now, uh, Jacko. I mean, and you know it too, it's just, you know, you look at the schools, they're, they're offering more money and, um, and they're, they're, uh, uh, they're having multiple coaches that are recruiting, especially with that second assistant, um, traveling. So, and, and, you know, I think a lot of these jobs are becoming more attractive. So there's more talent in our job now than ever. So they're they're putting in more work. So I think that's really the biggest challenge. I, I, I would say I'm, I'm trying to think if there's anything uh, recruiting wise, you know, we have to travel a little bit more now because, you know, the players that we're going after. So are every every other power five and they're always out there watching players and talking to them and their parents, I would say you have to do more traveling than what I had to do at Western. But, you know, I, I think it's as challenging, but just in a different way, you know. Uh, no, this recruiting, man, it's, it's I, I guess it goes in cycles, you know. Um, it's going to be interesting, you know, and I don't want to get, get too much into it, you know. It's going to be interesting with all the NIL stuff, how it's going to affect our sport, you know, and if that's going to get reined in, but but Jonathan, um, everyone who comes on here, I always harass him. I tell him like, "Hey man, send me a player." <laughs> but <laughs> but you actually have sent me a player. You sent me a girl from Finland, Milka Emilia Pasanen. Oh yeah, Pasanen. One of my favorite players of all time. You know, oh. uh, she played number one doubles for me for three four years. You know, so I appreciate that. But having said that, come on, man, send me a player. Um, I'm, I'll, I'll try. <laughs> I'm fighting for players myself now. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm losing so many players this year. Um, I'm, I, I need players myself. I'm looking as everybody else, I guess, right? Hey, listen, yeah, Jonathan, I really appreciate it. You know, I mean, congrats once again. You know, you guys off to a great start. Um, it doesn't get easier from now, isn't it? Who you guys no. got this weekend? Vanderbilt on Friday and then Kentucky on Sunday. Woo, man, some big matchups. It is. It is. Um, actually, we, we have a bunch of individuals coming up here today, so um, got to get them ready, right? Well, listen, yeah, I won't keep you. Um, I really appreciate that, and good luck the rest of the season. Thank you, Jacko. You too. Hey, cheers. Yeah, Coach Jonathan. You know, that's um, one hell of a start there for his tenor, <clears throat> tenure over at Alabama. And he's just a legitimate nice guy, isn't he? Just a legitimate good guy. So I hope they can keep things going. It's going to be interesting to see where they fall when the new rankings come out. Um, I think those wins, like I mentioned earlier, will carry them the whole season. But, but, you know, once again, the psychology of it all, are they going to use that ranking to their advantage and play with confidence? Or are they going to tighten up a little bit now that people are going to be chasing them? But, um, yeah, no, like I said, I hope they can keep it going. But let me, let me go ahead and get into these results. Uh, my favorite part, as always, quite a few of them once again. I'm going to start it off over here with Arizona State defeating Ohio State 4-1. I assume that was outdoors. Um, I've mentioned it before, Arizona State, that's a tough team. It's a top 20 team. They won the doubles and then won number three, four, and six in straight sets. 
Um, it seems like this is kind of a repeating pattern with Ohio State. They start the year off on fire, especially indoors, but then when they make a transition outdoors, things level off a little bit. Um, but but no doubt, you know, a huge win over there for Arizona State. The next one, we had a monster matchup, mid-major matchup, two of the best in the business at the mid-major level. FIU defeating SMU 4-3. <laughs> FIU, they just keep on, they just keep on chugging along. It's phenomenal. Um, doubles, they won the doubles. And then they won number four, five, and six. That bottom of a lineup came through for FIU. Number five and six in three sets after losing the first sets. So they were behind in that match for quite a while because um, SMU won in straight sets at one, two, and three. So, uh, sorry, yeah, SMU won for, uh, in straight sets at one, two, and three. So FIU had to work from behind in that match, but. Notch up another one there for FIU. Um, Boston College defeated Clemson 4-3. That was actually a tough weekend for Clemson, wasn't it? They lost to Syracuse as well, 4-3. Uh, in that Boston College match, Boston College won the doubles. It was a tight doubles point. 7-6 at number 3 doubles, 8-6 in the tiebreaker. Um, then at number one and three, Boston College won in straight sets, and in the closeout came at number two, six two in the third. Um, yeah, those are tough losses for Clemson. You know those margins are so tight. You know, and unfortunately they were on the wrong side of the margins. And these are the kind of matches that I thought they were going to win this year. Um, hey, listen here, guys. Clemson is going to be good. Um, you know, I'll I'll play devil's advocate over here. Should we start comparing this year with last year? Um, because last year's team's a little bit ahead of this year's team, isn't it? You know, they had the win over South Carolina. I think last year they beat Syracuse. Um, you know, superstar coaches came up short this weekend. Um, so I bet you they're licking their wounds, and it's going to be interesting to see if they can pick up some wins there in the ACC. Next one, Western Kentucky defeated Wyoming. Wyoming last year was a regular season champs in the Mountain West, so that's a huge win for Western Kentucky. Because Western Kentucky was off to a little bit of a slow start this year, but it seems like they're heating up. They won the doubles, um, and then... Three, five, and six in straight sets. Uh, one of those strange matches where Wyoming won at number one, two, and four in straight sets. So all six matches in straight sets, but Western Kentucky came out on top in that match over there. Uh, next one, Alabama. We spoke about Alabama, had that conversation, conversation with Jonathan, defeating Texas Tech 4-2. In the final to win the blue-gray, they had those other two wins against Illinois and Arizona. Um, those are quality wins uh, as you start building a, a ranking and validating belief and um, getting self-confidence. But that was a good win against Texas Tech because um, they lost the doubles and then won at number one, four, five, and six. I mean, the depth of that lineup kicked in big time. And that was without Parchenko playing. You know, uh, Jonathan mentioned it earlier. Priya Nelson stepped in there and clinched the match for them. So, um, great weekend there for Alabama. Next one, another big, another huge Mid-major matchup. We had SMU defeating Denver 4-0, wasn't it? Tied doubles point. And then number one, two, and five. That was a tough weekend for Denver. They also took that loss against Baylor. Tight, tight loss against Baylor. Um, but they'll be fine. They should finish up top 40. They stay steady here the rest of the way. Next one caught my attention. Mercer. Defeating Florida Gulf Coast 5-2. Um, Coach Eric Hayes, my guy. 
his team stepping up there and getting a big win. They won the doubles. And then one actually pretty straightforward, that number one, three, four, and five. I thought there was a strange result because Florida Gulf Coast is tough, man. They got an experienced team. They're one of the top teams in their conference. Um, no doubt Mercer is much improved. But maybe three matches in three days or three matches in four days was a little too much for Florida Gulf Coast to handle. But either way... Rock solid win over there for Mercer. Next one I got over here is Texas Arlington defeating Houston. Actually, Houston lost to Texas San Antonio as well. Um, that's a tough season for Houston, isn't it? Um, Arlington won that 4-1, doubles easy, 4-6 and six in straight sets, and the closeout came at number 2. With Sarah Reynoldson, the human ball machine, winning 6-2 in the third. Um, give me Houston. <laughs> I, I want Houston. Uh, yeah, I know it's a, a, it's a tough season for them, isn't it? Next one, Memphis defeating Minnesota 4-1. Doubles easy and then 2-5-6 and six in straight sets. I tell you guys what about Minnesota. Uh, they're competing pretty good, aren't they? I mean, so far, I mean, they had an easy schedule in the beginning of the season, and, and that might have given the girls a little bit of confidence, and they're riding that. But a couple of results that I've seen, they've been hanging tough, and they've been engaging good in those matches. Uh, they actually got um, their number one player is a transfer from Grand Canyon, who played number four at Grand Canyon, and it looks like she's playing pretty good tennis. And then they got two talented freshmen. I don't know if the new coach signed them, or if that was a previous coach who had already signed those players, but those two freshmen look like they're pretty good there in the middle of a lineup. So yeah, Minnesota, hanging tough. I still don't think they're going to win a lot of matches, but they're a lot better than what I thought they were going to be. Next up... Oregon, um, <laughs> I'm always on Oregon. They snuck out. They they snuck out two wins this weekend. They beat Iowa four three. It seems like Iowa's taking a lot of losses for some reason. And then they beat Iowa State four three against Iowa State. They won the doubles. And then at number four, five, and six, uh, six was by default. Um, Iowa State playing shorthanded over there. It looks like Iowa State, yeah, they won at number one, two, and three. I'll tell you what, give that cat at Iowa State some credit, man. Um, those girls are competing hard, you know, and it seems like they're hanging tough. It's a tough situation playing shorthanded, but but he might be laying the foundation for the future. Um, you know, it's going to be tough to pick up. It's going to be a tough year from a winning perspective, but yeah, I mean, they can build that, create that culture and everything. So I give him credit. He's fighting. He's fighting hard and they're not falling apart. Um, next result, Battle of the Wooden Spoon in the ACC. Man, that came early, isn't it? They played one another the first weekend and they're probably going to play one another in the first round of the ACC tournament. Virginia Tech defeating Louisville 4-3. Tied doubles. It was 7-6 at number 2 and 3 doubles. Virginia Tech won that. 1-2 and two in straight sets. Um, and then lost. And then they went ahead and lost. Number 3, 5 and 6 in straight sets. And then the clinch for all the marbles came at number 4. 6-2 in a third. So yeah, it's going to be tough sailing from here on out for both those teams. Next up, Tulane defeated Mississippi State 4-0. Um, Mississippi State, well, first the match. Um, tight, tight doubles point. And then Tulane won at number three and four in straight sets. And then the clinch came at number five, 6-1 in the third. Um, Tulane actually played almost pretty tough, man. They what they were in that match and took that match deep into the count. Um, tough one there for Mississippi State. They they engaged. I mean, they played Memphis and Baylor tough. 
but but yeah, I mean, it's it's you take one or two losses. I think it kind of creates a little bit of doubt, and it seems like you know um, things kind of took a little bit of a turn there against Tulane. Um, but from here on out, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what Mississippi State does if they can hang in there and maybe squeeze out a match or two within the SEC. Next one. LSU defeated TCU 4-2. That was actually a strange doubles point there. LSU rolled TCU in doubles 6-0 and 6-1 at number 1 and 2. Then LSU won at number 2, 3 and 5 in straights. Uh, The decider of a clinch came there at number 5, 7-6, 7-6. I mean, those are two good mid-tier Power 5 programs who are trying to break through and get into their top tier. Those are huge matches, isn't it? As they both try and qualify for the NCAA tournament. Um, because they like in that... they what They're both in a similar situation. They're probably going to beat the weaker teams within their conference. I don't know if they're going to beat the top teams in the conference. So, so that means there's like five to seven swing matches pressure matches that both these teams have to win so that's a big one for LSU to pick up tough loss for TCU but both teams look solid it's going to be interesting to see how they progress throughout the season and then last but not least we have Eastern Kentucky and I've seen them pop up a couple of times over here and I've got to have to have a closer look at them I can't remember who the coach is but he's obviously doing a good job over there didn't they drop Eastern Kentucky a couple of years ago and then they brought back the program? But they be- defeated Ball State 4-3. That's a huge win for them. Uh, it seems like Ball State has taken a step or two back with a coaching change over there. Um, it's kind of going to be interesting to see if they can um, compete with Toledo within that conference. But Eastern Kentucky actually lost a doubles point. Then they won number three and four in straight sets. Um, And then number five and number one were three setters with a clinch. It looks like the clinch or the deciding match was at number one. And Eastern Kentucky won that seven, six in the third. Um, I mean, what a match to close it out. But guys, those are the results that kind of prickled my interest. A couple of side notes over here couple of side notes over here I want to kind of talk about as well before we wrap things up. It was a big weekend for Oklahoma with a 4-3 win over San Diego and a 4-2 win over NC State. I got that one right or I'm back back in play over there. I predicted that Oklahoma was going to win that conference, that... um, or they're going to be tough to beat in that conference. It looked a little shaky there early on. Um, tough schedule though, but they bounced back. You know, my my guess, my guess, it it it, it, it was outdoors. Um, that's a physical team. They're going to get on that ball, and they did it without two players, Sherbina and Urita. Uh, just shows you how much depth they got over there at Oklahoma. They might be injured, or maybe they're just in the doghouse. I can I can easily see how Audra, you know, if, if you're not marching to her beat, you know, she'll sit you out very quickly. But but you throw those two in the mix, and yeah, they're gonna be dangerous. I mean, they're gonna challenge they're gonna challenge Oklahoma State and Oklahoma as and Texas as the season progresses. So it was nice to see them pick up a couple of big wins over there. Um, the other one, on the flip side, I nearly fell out of my damn chair when I saw that um, Arkansas bounced back and rubbed out Kansas and Northwestern this past weekend. I honestly thought things might go off the tracks over there, but hey, well played, man. Well played, Arkansas. Nice bounce back over there. You guys see, I'm pretty fair, am I not, in a way how I call these things. But, but before we get too overly excited, you know, let's pump the brakes a little bit. Let's get past the name recognition of Kansas and Northwestern. Um, 
I mean, first of all, I want to know, was that match indoors or outdoors? You know, once again, my rough guess is Arkansas lucked out and they probably had some good weather and, and got a couple of indoor teams outside. Um, but Kansas, that's a two and six Kansas. You know, I mean, I mean, they solid, but but they're probably going to be on the wrong side of a bubble. It might be a little bit of a rebuild over there at Kansas or a little bit of a step back. And, and Northwestern... You know, they're trying to bounce back from a tough year last year, and it seems like they've been all over the map playing um, outside beginning of the year, you know, down in Florida, and then they played national indoors at Texas A&M. It's outside. Then they go in indoors, and now potentially they were outside this past weekend. Um, you know, but, the, but, but most likely, you know, like I said, once we look past the name recognition, those are two teams who are going to be on the wrong side of a bubble, most likely. Um, so I wouldn't get too carried away with this. But having said that, good job, man. Way to hang in there, Arkansas, before they enter the Dragon's Den that is the SEC schedule upcoming. But let me go ahead and, and wrap up wrap up this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. You know, first of all, uh, I think it was somewhat interesting. Um, you know... So social media, and, and listen, yeah, social media is great, isn't it? You know, it's a great way to promote your program. I mean, I love social media because that's how I kind of keep up with what's going on with the action around the country. It's very useful. Um, kind of makes me chuckle, though, when um, it's 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 only the good stuff, you know? And, and, and I guess, you know, that's probably how you should utilize social media but but sometimes you get kind of a distorted view of what's going on i mean i give you an example it wasn't even on a woman's side it was on a men's side i saw something pop up player x just had a huge win against a top-notch men's program and i'm like god damn you know let me let me check in and see what's going on nothing else on it uh, i go to the web page um, that's the only match I won. Got absolutely smoked in all the other matches, you know. <laughs> but those situations kind of make me chuckle a little bit. Sometimes the girls on my team, they'll be like, Coach, you know, we, we saw on social media this team is doing this and this, and it seems like, you know, they're loving it. And, and, and I just kind of chuckle. I'm like, yeah, it's kind of false advertising because I kind of know what's going on in some of those programs. And Life isn't as good sometimes as it's advertised. And I don't want to get all philosophical on social media um, and all that stuff. But but like I said, sometimes it just presents such a distorted view. Now, it's great to bring awareness to your program, but it's borderline false advertising half the time with regards to social media. But I should go and check my team's social media page, shouldn't I? Make sure we're not making fools out of ourselves. But here we go. Um, this is an interesting stuff over here. I mean, well, it is interesting for me as we transition into conference play pretty soon. Um, it's, that's another discussion out there. It seems like Power 5 teams, Power 4 teams, they, they, they're going to play full conference schedules. So all their dates are going to be taken up by conference matches. It's kind of the opposite with... Some of the rest of us conferences um, seems like we do not want to play full conference schedules. If it is because of the cost element or if it is because certain teams within conferences want the flexibility to still be able to schedule um, according to where their talent level is. Um, I don't know what the right answer is. What the right answer is, or what the right way is to go about it. All I know at my stage in my career, I like the conference schedule. You know, it's it's I can measure myself against my peers. Um, you know, if I finish top three, top four in the conference, it's probably a solid job, job well done. If I don't finish top two or top three, um, I thought, ah, what I probably did a, a shitty job out there. But that's like I say, that's where I am in my coaching career. But, but those are the results that are going to start getting really interesting to me. You know, as, as we kind of dig into each different conference, we did the previews. Now to see, okay, who's making these big jumps within the conferences? 
who's who's an outsider who's challenging for the title or, or who's a team who's going from bottom of a conference to middle of a conference you know i mean i think there when you play against your peers that's when you can see real good coaching starting to elevate teams or good coaches starting to separate themselves from the pack but um, as always thanks a lot for listening good luck this upcoming week and like i mentioned earlier if you still got a date open hit me up man i'll jump in a minivan i'll jump on a bus and um, i'm just looking for some matches this weekend sometime next week good luck until next week over and out